So, uh, yeah, today I want to talk about um, the God that gives us faith. And this will be the, the second, well, the, last on Sunday I spoke about it as well. I want to talk about it again. And um, just the beauty of God and how He actually comes to win the heart of His people so that people can believe in Him and that He can share His life with them. You know, if you want to believe somebody or trust somebody, you know, especially if we say we trust God, then we can say, okay, we trust Him uh, in who He is, and we also have a hope or an expectation that is born from this trust. But what is this hope? What is this expectation? What can we expect from Him? And to know that, we must know what He's promised us. What has God promised us? I mean, God has promised man something, and now He came and He wants us to believe Him. And in order for us to believe Him, He had to do certain things that makes it easy for us to believe Him. Now, um, I've said this many times, and you know, I've, I've preached this the whole time when I was in, 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 in Europe, I mean, I, did, I think I did about 30 messages or something like that in the time that I was there. And a lot of the time I preached the same message. Because you go from one place to the other place to the other place to the other place. And I just preached the same thing. And I think after preaching it 30 times, I start to really understand. <laughs> so now I've got the recipe and now you're going to suffer under it. <laughs> I'm going to preach the same thing 30 times. <laughs> so at least I'm now prepared for the next 30 Sundays. I can also take a Saturday off now. Well, um, when we start to understand how we as humans function, we can start to understand the gospel as well. We are relational beings. The only way wherein God can have any effect in your life is through your belief. There is no other way. The only way, I've, I look at, at, at marriages, you know, um, we visited some friends yesterday and when I look at the marriage, I, I look at what's going on there, I realize the influence that there is, that they have on each other, be it good or bad, is 100% connected on what they believe about each other. That's all the trust they have in each other. And that's how relationship works. That is the God kind. If we say we are in the category of, in His image and likeness, we are in the category of, we are the God kind, in Him we live and move and have our being, then we are beings that needs to have knowledge about something. We need to understand some things. Our hearts need to be persuaded. And as our hearts are persuaded of a certain truth, then the truth we are persuaded of shapes and forms our lives and we are born of that truth. That is the channel through which relationship takes place. And when God made man, when God made you, He made you for this purpose. This is why He made you. That He can actually share His life with you. And the only way He can do that is by you believing Him. Now, the worst thing that you can do if you have um, 
if you have a, a, a child, is to say, listen, the only way this child, since he is in my image and in my likeness, he is a being that needs to be persuaded, or he, he needs to have faith, therefore, I will tell him, unless you've got faith in me, and I can see you have faith in me, I will not do anything for you. That's one of the worst things you can do, and that is how faith has been preached. Faith has been preached as a prerequisite or as something that God looks at and then see as if we have it and then reward us because we trust Him. Instead of faith being something that is part of our nature and part of relationship. If we see faith as the church, if we see faith as something we do or something that God requires of us in order for Him to do something for us, we will never get to the place where God is the source of our faith. And I will explain that to you. If I tell you, if you give me, it's like the, uh, last night the one guy said, um, at the town council works like this. They take their budget. This is our budget. Let's say Malmesbury. We need 500 million for the year. Okay, so how many houses do we have in, the, in our town council? We've got so many. Okay, how much tax do they pay? Okay, they only come to 400 million. So that's easy. Divide it, the, the outstanding amount between the houses, increase the tax, it's paid for. You know, in the very same way. You know, you, you don't have to uh, do many things. You just know this is the system that I need to follow. And the head of the town council or the town council, they don't worry where you get the money. If your water lights or your, your um, rates goes up from 100 rand to 120 rand a month, they don't care where you get the, the extra 20. It is your responsibility to bring the other 20. And if you don't bring it, they're going to not give you any service. And we have basically taken faith in the very same way. It's like we don't have to do all the laws to get God to bless us. We don't have to um, obey the Ten Commandments. But what we need to do now is, um, you know, God made it very easy. All we need to do is now have faith. And what we need to do now is, God doesn't care where you get that faith. It's something that we must bring from our side, and then God will do His part. But fortunately, it doesn't work that way. The way it works is like a father and a son. I know that there's certain information that I have in my heart that if my son can believe it, it will bring him life. That's how I think about faith. So what I'll do is, in the way I bring him up, in the way I speak to him, in the way I deal with him, I will deal with him in a way that his heart can trust what I say. Making me actually the source of his faith. Where in faith is not something that he must work up by himself, but where faith is a result or a fruit of how I've treated him, how I speak to him, of the integrity of my character. So in the very same way, God knew that there were certain things that man had to believe and certain, God knew that man had to trust Him in order for man to have eternal life. 
And therefore he came and made a great effort to make it very easy for man to trust him. God was looking at what he wanted man to have. And he wanted man to have eternal life. Meaning, I'm going to take dust, I'm going to make dust alive, and then I'm going to give this dust the opportunity to have its life saved or preserved or protected forever. The only way it can be lost forever is if my quality of life indwells that person, if I indwell that person. That's the only way. I'm going to do that. I'm going to give them that life. I want to give them that life. But then what man did was, man went, did not believe God, did not trust God. Why did Adam and Eve, especially when it comes to Eve, Eve was deceived, and after she was deceived, she gave off the same fruit to Adam, and he also ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did they go and eat of that tree? Very simple. If you come to a place, and I said it last week as well, if you doubt a system then you will make provision, you will want provision in another way. In other words, if you doubt the government, let's look at this program they've got on TV with the American preppers. Have you seen that? They don't believe that the government is going to stand. So what they do is they prep for the end of the age or something like that. And this blockage course in this whatever, you know, why? So why are they working to produce life for themselves? It's because they don't believe that the government will do it. That's all. That's the only reason. So works begins with unbelief. Works begins with unbelief. Can we as a church, do we have a gospel that can bring our heart to a place where our heart is so at rest that God will save me, that God will make me immortal, give me eternal life, that God loves me so much that He will do this, that I see no need to prep for the day of the Lord, where my trust is that He can actually provide me with that life. Or are we saying, well, I'm not really sure that He can give me that life, so let me just make sure that I've got something that can bring me some form of life, be it a good, uh, uh, good works or be it whatever it is. The thing that happened was with Adam and Eve is, Satan came to Eve, said to Eve, you know, God is hiding some stuff from you. He doesn't actually want another being in His image and in His likeness. He knows that you will be like Him, that, you, that there's another source of life. He doesn't want another God around here. You know, that's what Eve was actually told. And what she was told that was that God lied to her. And because she believed that, she couldn't trust God anymore. And what God promised, the promise for Adam and Eve was, here is the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, fulfill it. The life that's in you will flow over into all of this nature and everything. And this life comes from me. I've given you all these things. I am the source of all life for you. And they couldn't believe that. Why? Because a lie was told about God that caused their hearts not to trust God. 
And the moment they saw, I cannot clothe myself, I cannot find eternal life by just trusting God, then they had to look at what else is there that can produce life for me. And it was the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, I will look at all the good that there is in God, all the good that there is between the Father and the Son, and how good they live. I will just go and do that good, and I will find eternal life by it. But God, and when man, when man did that, you know what happened to man? Man started to see something called death. They started to see something called the fruit of the flesh. They started to see something like bitterness, hatred. All of a sudden, here you see uh, 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 Cain and Abel, the one murdering the other one. It's something that is not part of the design of man. We have been created unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's how God made us. All of a sudden, here man sees something called sin. He sees something called death. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve find that they're becoming older. Now, in the presence, now God now, listen to this, God promised man this, eternal life. But man now went and fell into a system which brings forth death. Now, they are experiencing death, they're experiencing sin, making it even more difficult for them to now believe that they can have eternal life. Because here they are now thinking God's angry. They are thinking they're not keeping to God's laws. All of a sudden they see God as the judge and the source of death. You know, and that's what's been preached in the Old Testament. You know, that's the picture we get if we don't understand what's actually written there. We see God saying, well, if you don't do what I tell you, I will kill you. Now we need... We also need, the only way we can have life is by believing that God can give us life. But we also think He is the source of death. Making it very difficult for the human heart to actually trust God. That God can give you eternal life and the fruit of His life or the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And we started to... Um, we started to do, get this wonderful school on what we can do to preserve our own lives. At the end of the day, Jesus said, if you are willing to lose your life, then you will save it. Meaning, if you are saying, I'm not trying to save my own life, but I'm just trusting that He will preserve my life forever, for He is good, your life shall be saved. If you just trust in Him. But, what... God was looking at man and he said, my promise to man is the same. It's like if I promise my son a certain thing and he doesn't believe me and he all of a sudden goes and tries and provides for himself in that area and makes a mess of it, my promise still stands. But if he has come and believed that I'm angry, if he's come and he believed that I don't want to give him that anymore. If he's come to believe that I have now given five laws on how he can get me to give him what I've promised him, you know, I will sit with this conundrum, which is, how am I going to persuade him that the promise still stands and that he can just trust me? And this was what God's, God, the, 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 the issue 
in the heart of God. God was sitting with people and He was saying, what do I need to do to convince these people that the promise I've made them of my fruitful life and eternal life is still sure and that it is true and what do I need to do what do I need to tell them that they will be able to be convinced that I can give it to them just freely? I need to do something. What am I going to do to produce faith in the hearts of my people? That is the question that God sat with. That was the, 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 the problem He had. He had to, because here's God. It's like, um, let me use another example. Let's say, let's take the prodigal son. The prodigal son takes his inheritance and goes and squanders it. But what is the heart of the father towards the prodigal son? The heart of the father towards the prodigal son is, whatever I have is still yours. So you can come back anytime, this is still yours. But what he needs is, he sits with a thing, this son does not believe that. I need to do something that can cause him to believe it. And in the case of the prodigal son, he was reminded of the goodness of the father towards the servants, and that's what brought him back. In the same way, God says, I need to do something that can cause my people to be at a place where they will see no need for any effort from themselves, that their hearts will be so sure that they will go to heaven, if you want to use just simple Christian language, that they will go to heaven and that I can actually give them my life. What do they need to hear? Now before we get into what, we need, what needs to be heard, let us just look at what God has promised us. What God has promised us. Because if we look at the, the world system, we have defined salvation in the things we own and in what we drive, where we stay, who our friends are, and those kind of things. The typical Deuteronomy 28 um, way of thinking, which says, blessed will you be in the field, blessed will you be in the city, blessed will you go when you go in, when you come out, and you will take all of Deuteronomy 28 and you will look at all those blessings. And what we've then said in grace is that Jesus came and he obeyed all the commands, all the prerequisites to those blessings and since Jesus has now obeyed now we can have all those blessings and the fruit of what God has done is all of the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 will just be ours if we just believe in Jesus now let, let me read that to you let me read that I just want to say this when I said before the service sometimes I feel it's only me understanding something I didn't mean that in a way that I think you're stupid Well, on second thought. <laughs> uh, what verse did I want to quote? Deuteronomy 28. Let me read this to you. It says here, And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God, to observe all... Uh, to observe and to do all these commandments which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. So what it says here is, 
If you can obey all the commandments of the Lord, then the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Now what if every nation believes and obeys the Lord? Problem. Okay. And this blessing shall come on you and overtake you, if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your um, children, and the flocks of your sheep. Blessed shall be your basket and your store. Blessed shall you be when, when, uh, when you um, come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemy, the Lord shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you in seven ways. The Lord shall command these blessings upon you. Now, I mean, you can read on, there are still more blessings, and then you can go to verse 15 and read all the curses if you don't obey. Now, what we've said is Jesus obeyed for us, and because Jesus obeyed for us, this life we see here is the fruit we can expect of what God has done. And by saying that, we've missed the gospel. Now that is something that I know will shock you. And if you watch by the internet, I know you will be shocked by if I say this. But Paul comes and he quotes the fruit of being in the gospel. And we can read that. Let me read that. Galatians. You see, the human mind wants to hear, if I say, Deuteronomy 28's blessings is not the promises of God, but that He promised us something else. The first thing you want to hear is, okay, but how am I now going to have a car and a house, and how am I going to be blessed? That's the first thing you're worried about, is how, what scripture do I have to convince God with that He can do something for me? You don't need a scripture to convince God. God is trying to convince you that He is your Father. He even says, Behold, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than these things? Don't lose one second thinking, worrying about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear. You've got an Abba. That is Jesus, that's God's Alpha and Omega on provision. That's it. But what we have done is, we've come to a place where we just, it, it, we cannot actually trust God that just Him being good is good enough to provide for us. You want to somehow have the power of the cross connected to our money, otherwise we cannot have peace that our God will provide for us. Because we can't just trust Him. And in doing that, we take what the cross actually stands for, because you want to apply it in an area which it was a given even in the Old Testament. We are missing what the cross is actually saying. So, when we look at what God has promised, what has God promised? Let us look at what God has prom promised, one of the promises or the fruit of the Spirit. So, if we say that what Jesus has done has come to bring us the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28. We are saying the fruit of the Spirit is to be blessed in the city, to be blessed in the field, that blessing shall overtake us, that 
um, the fruit of our body shall be good. In other words, there will, be, there will not be people that don't, cannot have children. That you will have many children. That you'll have a big farm. And that all your enemies will suffer under God. That's the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know, but that's not what Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is. Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, and all those kind of things. He didn't quote Deuteronomy 28. He quoted what he said is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, if you are inside the Spirit of God, this is what God has promised. What is the Holy Spirit called? It's called the Spirit of the Promise. What is this promise? When we have the Spirit, what has God promised you? God has promised you that you will have a heart that's flooded with love for others. He wanted from the beginning to share His life with you. You know, if, I've, if I dream for my children, this is what I dream for Aubrey, for Bertus, and for Henry. I am not dreaming that Aubrey would be this big engineer. I'm not dreaming for Bertus to just have his own business or for Henry to be uh, uh, the best videographer there is in the world. That is not my dream. My dream for my children is that they can have a life wherein the Spirit of God is the source of life in them where they can feel what it feels like to be kind, what it feels like to be patient, what it feels like to have the life of God born in them. That's all. That's the biggest dream you can ever dream for anybody. There is nothing better than the life of love. There's nothing better. But the only thing about that life is it cannot be attained by willpower. It is a gift. It has always been a gift. And the problem with Adam was, when Adam and Eve sinned, they fell into things like murder, drunkenness, bitterness. And in the, at the end of the day, we, felt, we saw even the world being destroyed in the days of Noah, flooded with all kinds of iniquity. Wherein man doesn't have access to the life of God. Nobody loves. Nobody is kind. Nobody is patient. Nobody's got long suffering. Nobody sees the best in each other. It's not there. But yet it remains the promise of the Spirit. God promised us that life. And what we have done is we've taken that good life as the prerequisite to just have access to heaven. <laughs> We've taken what God has promised us. I promise you, love, joy, peace for free. I, I, I will bring it forth in you without your effort. And that's a nice life. You know, it's a nice life not to be always angry. It's a nice life. There's somebody that, that really doesn't like me. And whenever I see him, he doesn't want to greet me. And... Eliana and I, when we see these people, we just wave and we're just friendly. Because it is such an effort to remain angry. After a while, you don't want to be angry anymore, but now you're so full of pride that you can't say, I'm sorry. And now you continue to be angry. We have not been designed for that life. That's not what God has promised me. God has promised me a life where I can easily forgive. That's what He's promised me. But what we've done is, we've taken the promise of the Spirit and we've di diverted it to Deuteronomy 28. And now we're missing what God actually wants to give us. 
And now we think, if I can have that new car, if I can have that healing, or if I can have this, or I can have that, then I will be happy. In the meantime, God says, I promise you, happiness is a gift. It's just something that will be in you. By my doing, can you believe me? So, we see um, God had to come and, and speak a language that can cause people to say, well, you know what? I can believe... If I look at what God is saying here, it can bring a persuasion in my heart that I can actually believe to the point that I wouldn't try and add any effort from myself that I can have love, joy, peace, and all these kind of things, and eventually immortality, eternal life. Now what did God have to do to speak a word that can cause people that has experienced sin and death for thousands of years, that they will, when they look at that, say, well, there's no doubt in my heart. Love, joy, peace, and all those things can be given to me, and there's no doubt, there's nothing that can cause a doubt in my heart. Plus, I can be raised from the dead. You know, I can live eternally with God. What is promised from the beginning is mine. What would God, God the Father and the Son were sitting in heaven, they were saying, this is the way, I'm just using my own words here. Father was saying to Son, what do you think, how will we communicate to these people that my promise of life is still theirs? That can cause their hearts to stop to try and produce life by their works. What can we do? Let's just read the promise that God has made us in um, Titus. Titus 1, verse 2. Oh, let's read from verse 1. It says, Paul, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of truth, which is after godliness. Now, I don't have time to explain all of that, but... What that verse actually means is, when it talks about truth that's after godliness, he says there's a truth that produces godliness in our lives. In the hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So what does Paul say? Paul says, listen, there's a truth that will bring forth, that's after holiness, that will bring forth holiness in your life. And this truth will bring forth its holiness, and we now also have the hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, has promised before the world began. So what is God's promise? Eternal life. And what is the, what we would call the, the side benefits of eternal life? Eternal life is contained inside the fruit of the Spirit. So, God comes, He promises us eternal life. He gives us the Spirit that will give us this eternal life. And this Spirit has got certain fruit in us, which is called love, joy, peace, kindness, and all those kind of things. Like Nico said before the service, there is a God that sees something's killing us, and He wants to give us something that can save us from what's killing us. So what did God have to do? This is, this is what God had to do what, and what the human heart needs to hear. The human heart needs to hear and needs to see God's word in action 
conquering all sin and bringing forth perfect holiness. If you can see that, then you'll be able to believe it. If you can see that the promise of life supersedes the presence of death and the presence of sin and is stronger than sin, if God can come and speak in a way wherein He can show you and tell you clearly that His promise to give you life is stronger than the power of sin in your life, if He can say it in that way, that is vivid and clear, your heart might be able to believe it. And when your heart can, be, can believe it, then He can have access to you again. Because He's removing all unbelief. Because when you are under the law, you're in unbelief. Like I, like I said last Sunday, the reason why many times we still sit with sowing and reaping, tithing and all those kind of things is because we are just simply not believing God can provide. There's no, there's no difficult equation to it. It's just they don't believe. And you haven't heard something that can cause your heart to believe. And what we will have to see this word more powerful than death. So that we can say, this promise of life is stronger than the very death I experience in my life. So how will God say how will God bring the word which was from the beginning, the promise from the beginning, in an audible way, in a visual way, that we can say today, I can trust Him, He'll give me the fruit of the Spirit, that's what I'm available for, and He will even raise me from the dead. This is what God had to do. He had to take your sin and show you that your sin doesn't, isn't more powerful than His promise. And this is how he did it. He had to take a man that has no sin, that can absorb your sin, and take all your sin onto him. And then that man had to allow sin unto death, even to a place where he feels rejected by God. Even to a place where he can quote, you know, Psalm 22 where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not that God has forsaken him, or that God ever forsook Jesus, but to a place where, the, where we, we feel many times, God, why have you forsaken me? And we need a word that can tell us that God can give you holiness and eternal life. He can give it to people that even feel God has forsaken them. That the promise can be even to those so how, does he, how will he do it? He will take a man that has got no sin, then he will not take and use that man as an example of you, uh, or example for you. He will take your sin, the very thing you struggle with, he'll put it on that man. And he will promise that man that he will raise him from the dead in a human body that does not possess the ability to even sin. Holy body. So, this is it. In order... For, let, let's say I, I represent God. In order for me to have these people believe that I can freely give them eternal life and a holy life, this is what needs to happen. I need to take their sin, put it on a man, nobody else's sin but their sin, then I have to point them to their sin, and I will promise this man that carries their sin that I will raise him from the dead. 
and give him eternal life. And then this man has to trust me and never use any effort to have life by works, but only believe me. And if this man then can die their death on account of their sin and trust me, then I can raise them out of their death into a new resurrected body wherein sin has got no power. And then I can tell them and say to them, do you see the life I've promised you? Applied in your very life, which is your sin and your death. And he spoke a language in Christ that the human heart can believe that God can actually give you holiness as a gift. So that we can come to the place where we say, we don't have to have five methods unto something. We can actually go and say, we trust the Almighty God because we see His Word, His promise which was from the beginning, which is eternal life and the fruit of the Spirit is ours. We can see it applied in every area of our life. So we can have hope. We can have the hope of eternal life and we can see the fruit of this spirit of life in our lives today. Why? Because our God did something that made it possible for us to believe. The thing is, we have diverted and polluted the gospel away from the teaching of life, away from good fruit is a fruit and not a root. Where holiness is what God promises man. The question is to the church, and if you're watching via the internet, pastors, leaders of networks, this is the question. Is the gospel you preach a gospel where you can actually trust God to manifest good fruit in people? where you can actually trust God to do it? Or can't you trust God? <laughs> That's the thing. I want to say this. I've come to a place where I <clears throat> feel in my heart, not by theory or by knowledge, but by belief in the heart that God can do it. He can actually manifest His kindness in me. He can actually manifest a life where I'm not afraid of what's going to happen to, to, the, uh, to the economy or whatever. He can actually manifest that in me. The gospel is not stop your fear and God will give, take you to heaven. The gospel is I will stop your fear. Let's read and let's end off with Romans 6. For those that watch via the internet, I am not alone in this hall. It's very quiet, but I'm not alone. <laughs> um, let's read Romans 6, and we see how God spoke. So this is what God had to do. He had to say, let me show you my word of promise of life. Remember what John, 1 John 1 says? It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which our hands have handled as pertaining to the word of life. 
So what was from the beginning? The word that God promises us, life. He'll take the dust, make it alive, and have this life, which is manifested in the fruit of the Spirit, eternally, never to die, including the human body, which we know shall be glorified in the return of Christ. That is the promise He's made us. And after thousands of years of death, it's difficult for us to believe it, especially when the law system was included into it. We just want to, we want to live by our works. Then we got to a place where we twisted the thing so much that we want to get God's favor by our good works so that He can grant me life. <laughs> it's also not that. You cannot live by your good works, you cannot have eternal life by your good works, and neither can you convince God by your good works. God is convinced of your value. He was convinced of your value before you were even made. He already knew who would be the heir of everything He possessed. It's you. That's it. You don't need to convince Him. What the convincing that's needed is when Satan brought destruction to man's belief system, God's job is to convince you that He can give you eternal life. And He did His job. He said it's finished. So let's see what he actually says and how this, how this life comes. What verse did I want to quote? Yes, you'll track me on the off, you Romans 6. Let me read Romans 6. Maybe I need to listen to my message 30 times because I forget it every time. Romans 6 says, What shall we say then? Now this verse has been twisted so out of context. He says, what shall we say then? What word do we have? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God causes it to cease to exist. Now listen to Paul's logic. Listen to Paul's way of thinking on what Christ has done. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So he comes and he says, this is God's word for you. You are dead to sin. My promise kills all the power of sin and death in you. How shall we live any longer in it? If we are, if you read on, he says, if we are in the likeness of his death, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And what Paul is doing is, he's declaring the promise that God can give you holiness and immortality as a free gift. I see some of you laugh. Yes, it's only half a page. I read that page too many times. Yes, God promised us. And that is what Paul said there. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Our old man is crucified with him. For, um, in that he, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Do you see what he says? He doesn't say stop your sin. He says, I promise you that if I listen to this, I will die your death. When I die your death, what does it mean? It shows, if I die your death, take all your sin and raise that man up, you are risen with him. <laughs> that's your word, that's the word of life to us. 
And so now we all of a sudden see when we hear this that our subconscious mind or the critical factor in our mind makes our bodies, makes our emotions, makes our thoughts available for the resurrection power of Christ. And all of a sudden we start to find a kindness that we could never work up. Because that's what God promised us. What a loving father, man. This is the answer to marital problems. This is the answer on how to raise your children. This is the answer to everything. It's this. If both people in a marriage can believe this, it must work. Because it's God's promise. All of a sudden, He is the source of life. And not you. Our God has come to save us from what kills us. Jesus didn't come to save us from the anger of God. God came to save us from sin and death. Let me end off with this. If the Bible says, if Jesus said, the Bible says there in Matthew, it says, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sin. And the Bible says, and they called the name of the child Jesus and Emmanuel. So, whenever you say God with us, Emmanuel, what are you saying? You are saying, here is deliverance from what binds me. Not here is punishment. Here is freedom. Hallelujah. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. So whose responsibility is it to take sin out of your life? Jesus. It doesn't say, you stop your sin and I will take you and give you a house in heaven. Can't we just get out of this real estate thing? Just for a moment. Just find life in what he gives. In his quality of life. Father, you have come to save us. And thank you that you spoke in such a way. Your word of life was put on display wherein we can see that your word of life pertains to every man that's flooded in sin wherein you promise him the fruit of your spirit wherein you promise him the resurrection from the dead by your spirit and then you poured out that spirit in Acts 2 on all flesh giving that spirit of life to all of us comforting us with the end with a message of our iniquity is pardoned we can just trust the Father Father I want to say to you I can trust you that, I, that you can bring forth and manifest the life of, that, that only you possess as pertaining to my marriage, as pertaining to this church, to my friends, by your doing. And Father, when we are in a place where we don't see the fruit, like Abraham didn't see the fruit, he didn't stumble when he didn't see the fruit. He just believed. He just believed. And in the end, it manifested. And thank you, Father, that in this day, when we don't see the fruit, we thank you that we have a more sure word, which is the message 
that your death and resurrection speak to us, that causes us belief. And we know we shall be made immortal in the return of Christ. And so be with you forever. Thank you, Lord, that you say, Paul just ends it so bluntly. He just says, you will come back, you will raise us up, and so we will be with you forever. For the purpose when you have us is for us to be together. Thank you, Lord. Amen, amen.